we're trying to run a profitable company. We can't pay everyone 500 grand a year. Right. And they're trying to maximize the return. Only you get paid 500 grand a year. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> hey, Jason, what's the first thing you think of when I say the word setups? You're not making chips <laughs> yeah, and you're right. not making money. Yeah, exactly. It's one of the biggest battles that can hold you back as a manufacturer. Absolutely. So enter the lean setup guide from Pro Shop. Okay, what's that? This guide can help anyone, whether you're a Pro Shop user or not, but Pro Shop users have experienced a 50% reduction in setup time because the software builds these lean principles into their process. Yeah, so it's a totally free download. You can go to proshoperp.com slash 50 and you can get your copy of the Lean Setup Guide. Bam. Hey, manufacturing leaders, this is Making Chips, the number one manufacturing podcast. So let's cue the music and get started. If the sound of a machine tool removing metal gets your blood pumping, then you are Metalworking Nation. This is Making Chips, where we talk all things metalworking, engineering and design, production and tooling combined with business best practices, technology, marketing, news, and new media for manufacturing professionals. Here are your hosts. Let's make some chips. Hey guys, it's Nick and Jason recording live from what will be a very cool recording studio, but right now it's just an office on the move. Yeah, man, we're here at Zenger's Industrial Supply and I'm being kicked out of my office, essentially. One of my guys, Mike, is helping to convert my office into a new recruiting. Or you look new recruiting. like you got in trouble, like your recording wife kicked studio. you out and you have to pack up all your crap. And yeah, leave. I'm like packing up all the photos <laughs> and stuff like that. No, there's no trouble. This whole office is going to be transformed. It's going to be really cool. No, the concept is awesome. Like what you were telling me, I'm ready to record in here. Yeah. So I've got more podcasts up my sleeve. I want to start some more podcasts. I want to have a nice space to record making chips, a nice space that manufacturing leaders could come here, sit down. There'll be a, a boring bar in the back. And a boring mini bar. Oh, uh, yeah, mini boring <laughs> bar. And then we can put some video to what we're doing. Yeah. So I'm excited about yeah, we it. We have so many cool new concepts, new kind of content products that we're going to be releasing. Yeah. You and I have been talking quite a bit about it, and I'm ready for like the second quarter to hit and some of the stuff to come out. It's going to be fun. I mean, so like if you're just going to talk about content in and of itself, I mean, my goal is that I want to dedicate one day a week to just producing content. Like that's wow. my goal. Wow, yeah, so like every awesome. Thursday, that'll just be my content day. So yeah, it's gonna be exciting. Man, I wish I could do that. I love that idea. And I think it'll pay off. Right. Right now thinking about doing this all day, once a week. Ay, ay, ay. It'll just be different stuff, different podcasts and stuff like that. So I'm definitely looking forward to it. So back to the mess that we're sitting in. Isn't moving just the worst? It is. Yeah, I, I don't it. like it. I don't like it. And I know you're supposed to help your friends move, but just before you even ask, no, I'm busy. You actually know about this, Nick, but I actually have a very exciting move to talk about in the future, which I'm not yeah. going to talk about now. But oh, you're not doing it now. No, okay. I'm not going to talk about right. now, but it's going to happen in the future. So I think I, I called you the cliffhanger specialist. I know. Well, there you go again. <laughs> there's another one. <laughs> so what are we talking about today, Nick? Well, first, we're going to talk a little bit about some manufacturing news, and then we're going to talk about what I've been going through lately, which is recruiting and how it's a lot like my real job, which is leading a sales team. Right. Recruiting is just like selling. So. Finding a new manufacturing leader. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That's a perfect way I to mean, say it. I mean, I think that there's a lot of different things that are just like selling. I mean, recruiting is a lot like selling. I've explained to people, I get really into making acquisitions and, mm-hmm. and I think that's a lot like selling too. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So we'll dive into that. But first, I thought this was really interesting. I saw it on LinkedIn where I get a lot of my manufacturing news 
And when you think about new investments in the automotive industry, Mm -hmm. you're always thinking like electric, everything's transitioning to EV, and it is. But this article's from autoblog.com. GM to sink over 900 million into four plants, mostly for a new V8. Okay. And so I'll just kind of. And they're doing it in Flint, Michigan. In Flint, which is amazing to hear because, like, it seems like everything that I hear nowadays is new plants opening up either in the southern United States or Mexico or something like that. So it's good to hear that they're reinvesting. I did a whole manufacturing news on like how the southeast of the U.S. was where all this new stuff is going to be. And one of the things I said, and this obviously contradicts what I said, is one of the machine tool leaders that I was dealing with from one of the builders was saying that like all the new investment in automotive manufacturing isn't where it used to be. It's not in Michigan and Ohio and Right. Here's an example of something that just got announced that is, which is really cool. Yeah. When I was driving from Nashville back to Chicago with my family over winter break, all of a sudden we're in like the middle of nowhere driving, I think it was 57 north. And oh, yeah. You told me this. Yeah, yeah. And then all of a sudden there's just this gigantic factory. And I found out later that it's going to be a Ford battery factory. Like it's Ford and somebody else are partnered up. I mean, just huge. Nice. Yeah. What do they call those giga factories or is that Well, that's what a, Tesla, that's a calls Tesla them. thing. Yeah. So, tell me more about this 900 million dollars yes. that they're Shout investing. out to my guy, my regional sales director who covers Michigan and Canada cuz he's the one who was posting about this and obviously he's a big fan of anything that happens in Flint. Mm-hmm. It says here General Motors says it will spend more than 900 million update four factories with the bulk going to an engine plant in Flint, Michigan, which will build the next generation V8 for pickup trucks and SUVs. Factories in Rochester, New York, Defiance, Ohio, Bay City, Michigan will also see investments, some to make V8 engine components, as well as parts for future electric vehicles. The investments won't create any new jobs, but they will preserve about 2,400 hourly and salaried positions at the four sites. And what's really like near and dear to anyone who's from the Rockford area, the Chrysler plant just it's closing, right? I know. And so all those jobs, we're hoping we can maybe pick up some good machinists, even though it's mostly an assembly plant. But yeah, what's cool about this is it's going to preserve these jobs. Well, it'll be interesting to see what ends up replacing that Belvedere Chrysler factory. Yeah, I know. Like, what are you going to do with all that facility, land, everything? Yeah, I mean, hopefully somebody will retool it and maybe Tesla will move into there. Yeah. So I want to kind of skip ahead, but there's some interesting parts from this article. Article. So GM, like other automakers, is facing stricter government fuel economy standards and pollution limits starting in the 2024 model year. Yeah, well, they're really being pushed. Exactly. New vehicles sold in the U.S. will have to average at least 40 miles per gallon of gasoline in 2026, up from 28 miles per gallon, which is like a new Biden administration rule that undid a rollback of these standards from Trump. So they're just kind of like going back and forth. This means that the new V8 will have to get better mileage and pollute less than the current versions. Although GM wouldn't release details on the new engine, Johnson said during a news conference at the Flint plant, it would be more efficient than the current version. GM has a goal of selling only electric passenger vehicles by 2035. But Johnson said that's a dozen years out, a period when many customers will still want these gas engines. We know that it has a horizon, he said. Between here and there, however, there are a lot of internal combustion customers that we don't want to lose. So it's really interesting. Yeah, that is. Things are headed to like the mostly or entirely electric way, but that's still a little bit down the future. 12 years is an eternity, it feels like. It kind of reminds me, you talk about like fuel economy and engines. One of our 
biggest clients, and this goes back like 15 years ago, used to be Navistar International. They had an engine plant right near Zenger's. And I remember they were probably like 25% of our sales. And then they shut that plant down and they shut it down because they couldn't meet the fuel objectives or whatever. There's probably some other factors in there too, that they shut that particular plant down, but now it's gone. And obviously (laughs) it didn't affect us that much now looking back, but I mean, it's just kind of interesting to hear more about like those fuel expectations for engines. And I directly felt some of those pains. Yeah. And I know this was a concern five, six, seven years ago in Europe. I think they were a little bit ahead of us on like heightening the carbon emission standards. But mm-hmm. yeah, it's just really interesting, the whole domino effect of all of it. So Absolutely. All right. Well, let's talk about recruiting. Yeah. So I just mentioned West who posted this and he's one of the people we recruited with what we're using is LinkedIn Recruiter. So it's like LinkedIn Sales Navigator is like the premium sales thing. And mm-hmm. LinkedIn Recruiter is how you can find new people. And not to make this an ad about LinkedIn, that's just like the platform that works for us. You know, right. most of the people that I would want to hire either they do have, have a presence. LinkedIn profile or if they don't, I probably don't want to hire them because I'm looking for salespeople anyway. Yeah. So that's how we found Wes. But even those two products, the recruiter and the sales navigator are so similar in terms of like how they work, how you build your filters for like what type of person you're looking for. And I'm just going to keep drawing parallels throughout the rest of this episode between the process that a lot of my energy has been going to, which is this recruiting process and the process that my energy should be going to, which is selling. So, Well, but sometimes you have to be the one responsible for hiring the sellers. I mean, the most important thing that you could do as a leader is to hire the right people, especially not actually selling yourself. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But here's some parallels. So most of the time, like I imagine most of the time when you're selling cutting tools, you're selling to a company that has them. They have cutting tools. Sure. They know the need that they have. You're trying to like kick somebody out, essentially. Right. Like get your product in there and, well, I'm get, showing, and kick I'm somebody out. I'm trying to show out. that I have a better value to them. Well, I and can, if you do, I mean, yeah. someone's getting kicked out, right? Yeah. And the same goes for me. I'm looking for people who have job most mm-hmm. of the time. Right. Sometimes it works out where someone's unemployed and they're still a good fit. But in this world, in our industry... Most of the time, you're trying to convince someone that the grass is greener. Yeah. So you're recruiting an employed person. And that's kind of similar. Yeah, And you have to be really careful with it. So I'm going to tell a story. I don't want to name names here, but we bought some machines at Advance. And everybody, this world's really incestuous on like the machine tool builder side, or we make a lot of peripheral equipment they could sell alongside. And you're talking about a mill that you guys use for making your own products. Yeah, yeah. So we bought some machines. And shortly thereafter, one of our employees was telling us that he was going to leave and become a service guy. So our president contacted their president and said, hey, look, this is what's happening. I just want you to know that. And that's fine. If they want to leave, we can't hold them back. But all I ask is that you at least rip up the invoice for the service where your team recruited my employee from me. Right. And what was really cool about the president of this company is he had no idea. Yeah, of course not. And so he was like, what do you mean? And kind of threw a fit at his own team. Like, we yeah. don't do that. We don't go like yeah. do service calls, then recruit the machinist it's away hard from not the company. To, you know what I mean? And sometimes it just happens organically. Yeah. And, and you're right. It is hard not to. So- You don't want to be like, well, I don't want to recruit from a customer or a partner or another company because like it's competitive like sales. And I think there's a lot of gray area and I think you need to be careful. And you certainly wouldn't want to like go become an integrated supplier to a customer and then take their most experienced machinist and have them be like your sales guy. Right. Like that's not good. Yeah. So we actually had a similar situation happen where there was a very talented young 
application engineer. Like he was responsible for the robotics and the cutting tools applications at this particular machine shop. And he decided that he wanted to leave and he wanted to move from either from working for a machine shop to either working for a manufacturer like Cutting Tool brand. Yeah, or like working, an OEM. Yeah, yeah, of Cutting Tools or working for us. Like he wanted to work for a distributor, but he wanted yeah. to get involved in the application of Cutting Tools at a lot of different accounts. So he had made this decision that he was going to leave. And he said his number one choice was going to work for Zengers. And he was great. And we needed somebody like him that could provide cost savings for our clients But we were stuck in a difficult situation because this was a good client of ours. So I had to call up the owner of this company and explain the situation. Well, he had to explain that first. But then I had to follow up with a phone call and be like, look, this was not planned. We're not trying to steal him. He's leaving. He could be of use to you while he's working for me. Man, I had almost the exact conversation with Mike Payne, who will be one Mm -hmm. of our guest hosts in the future. And same thing happened. And I think the key to what you just said is like the whole process of that. Like they decided that they want to move to a different career. Right. They pursued you. Yeah, because I'm like, I'm not going to convince you to go work for my company. Right, right. It's like the difference between a relationship, like someone breaks up and then that person pursues right. you or like being the home wrecker yourself, right. right? Yeah, because I would never pursue a customer's right, right. employee. So that's really interesting. The other angle to this is in the recruiter tool that I use, and I think this is one of the reasons why they're able to charge such a pretty penny. There's something on your profile in LinkedIn mm-hmm. that says you're open to work. Oh, right. It's in like the back end, the hidden part of the profile. Sure. Your employer can't see if you have that on. Oh, that's interesting. But anyone with this recruiter tool can. Okay. So when I am running my filters, it's only based on people who are like open to exploring new opportunities. Mm -hmm. And like sometimes people just keep it on just to see what's up, even if they're not really open. But yeah, you want to be careful not to do anything dirty. The next thing that's really similar is this whole list building prospecting process is just like the same thing. So you build like your ideal customer profile, like who are we targeting for whatever we're selling? And you start to build out like, okay, I want to search shops of this size or people in this industry or people with this kind of experience or whatever. And then you've got this list. It produces a list and then you start like going through and prioritizing the list. And then you start going after them. Hey, can I get an appointment? I'd love to tell you how we can help make you successful, right? That's like the sales prospecting process. And it's almost the same thing when we're recruiting. And so like these sales skills that you develop as a sales professional really help you in recruiting. And I think one of the reasons why I wanted to create this episode is if you have someone in HR who has no experience in sales or in actual recruiting or in the industry or in the industry, and you're just like, hey, I need you to go find the perfect person. Here's kind of what it looks like. Like that's a tall ask. They're probably not going to be as effective. You'd be better served by having one of your salespeople do it because it's kind of the same skill, the same process, the same kind of knowing what it looks like thing. So in you know what, to be honest with you, though, we actually, our salespeople know to be out there recruiting for other salespeople, too. Like, they're not threatened by that. Yeah. Yeah. Same here. Like, I have one vacant region, and I'm asking them all the time, like, send someone my way. So the next parallel is really the same grind is what you can expect. It's not easy. There's no way to sugarcoat it. Anyone who's telling you, like, I'm a recruiter, I'll fill your inbox with qualified talent, and you just pick your hire, and it's that easy. It's not out there. Maybe for some roles it is, but for what I'm looking for, I'm running like five, six, seven state searches with certain filter criteria. There's not hundreds of qualified people. Right. There's like three. There's like three. And you might know two of them. (laughs) And you might know that those aren't a good fit. So yeah, it's a grind and there's no sugarcoating it. It's an absolute grind. Do you find it the same way or? I do. We primarily utilize our 
circle of relationships that we have in order to find people. So I've got my kind of branches out there looking for people on my behalf. But yeah, it's not easy. And my territory is a lot smaller than yours is. So yeah. Do you think that like your network and word of mouth is your best channel for recruiting or would, I think like absolutely. a tool like for me to try to recruit people myself would definitely be a grind. But if I can let five people on my team and 25 partners know what we're doing, then I think that that's my best way in order to find somebody. Like I, in the future, want to find somebody who's in charge of sales besides me. Mm-hmm. So like I want to bring that executive manager on the team, that leader. And that's going to be a really tall order. It's going to take a very, very specific person to replace those duties that I do, which I probably don't even do that great of a job because I don't dedicate enough time yeah. to it. But that person has to be very seasoned in sales of cutting tools and shop supplies and safety supplies and understand the players, the dynamics of the, the dynamics market, yeah. of distribution, everything. And it's not going to be an easy person to find. And then most importantly, it's not going to be an easy person to find from the standpoint of our cultural fit. Because I'd rather not hire somebody to do that and just continue to do it myself than hire somebody that's going to be a bad cultural fit. I won't even do that. Do you feel like there's a lot of people who would meet the filter criteria for what you're looking for, but not the values criteria in that particular role? Like, I'd probably imagine it's 50-50. Yeah. I mean, hopefully our values are bottom line is like hopefully more people fit them than don't. It, they're pretty specific, but still, I would I would hope more people fit them than don't. I mean, it, we want those values out of our clients too. I mean, so going back to making that comparison between recruiting people for your team and selling to clients, like we have a certain criteria we want for our clients too. Yeah, I think, I mean, I'll just say what's on my mind right now. I think in industrial distribution, there's a lot of businesses who do it the right way, like mm-hmm. you guys. Yeah. And then there's a lot of businesses who do all sorts of shady stuff. Yeah. Like, I mean, my business is... Yeah, my industry is definitely, there's some sliminess there. Like it's the old adage is snake oil salesman. That's what they used to call people that sell like coolant and cutting tools. Yeah, yeah. So, so it probably disqualifies a lot of the right experienced people because yeah, they would fall Yeah, and category. I'm trying to change that paradigm right. through our transparency, but it's definitely an issue. Yeah, so you kind of segue me to my next parallel, but it's actually a perfect segue. So we just talked about they check all the boxes. They've got the subject matter expertise. They've got the experience. They're in the right network of business or industry. Here's the parallel. Qualifying can never be done with a profile or off a piece of paper, or off a database. It's always going to be done in a real conversation. I've had people who didn't look like a great fit and then you start talking to them and you're like, oh, well, why didn't you put all that stuff in your LinkedIn profile? I now learned this about you. Or, you mean they were better than what you thought they were? Yeah, like they just or had more qualified, less stuff in there or their profile kind of positioned them in a way where I thought they weren't a good fit, but they really are. Or the inverse where it's like, man, look at this. It's a total rock star. And then you start talking to them and you're like, nah. It's been overinflated a little bit. Yeah, yeah. right. And some of this qualifying stuff isn't just about are they the right person for the job? It's about like timing and what's going on with their family. For example, I just made a hire and we talk about the network, right? So this person I hired in the year 2000 to 2003 was a machinist at AME. He now lives in Colorado. So Eddie, if you're listening, what's up, man? Interesting. So he went from our company into engineering and then moved out West and then worked for Halliburton and Sundine and all that stuff. And maybe eight years ago, we were like, man, because you're out West and we need people out West in sales, you'd be a great salesperson. But he had like three young kids at the time. And this job requires a lot of travel. And so now his kids are all older teenagers sure. and they're and they kind don't of want self-sufficient to to <laughs> and his mother-in-law is like living with him right now. And so he's got extra support. So it's a perfect fit. 
for him to start this traveling job. So throughout that whole time, he was qualified. I mean, we built him in our own company, but qualifying has to be done with a conversation, whether it's sales or recruiting your next employee. And then the last thing is it's still about building rapport and trust. Absolutely. Sales is all about trust, especially with uh, distribution where they're trusting that you're getting the best value for them and that everything's fair. And same thing with hiring an employee. They're making a huge life change, arguably a bigger change than a customer makes when to work with a different supplier. And they understand, hey, he's got a role to fill. He's going to try to make it look as good as possible. If you don't have rapport, if you don't have trust, if it's not a good cultural fit, you're not going to sell anything. You're not going to recruit the right people. And I'm not going to suggest that this is for everybody, but we just recruited a new business development person from a competitor. Basically, he was the number two person at this distributor in building out their, for lack of a better word, I call it business development, but their outbound phone sales department. And he's going to work at doing that same thing with us. And basically what it is, is you're taking like the long tail of your clients who you don't have your field sales account managers, don't have the time to call on, and you're giving them those account management services over the phone. So you're providing more value to those clients. You're just doing it over the phone. And the only reason from like a building report and trust standpoint, the only reason that he made the move is because of our faith we had that in common with each other. Because like it was a little bit of a nerve wracking thing, but we had built enough trust because of that commonality that we had and like maybe similar in age and stuff like that, that he just, he jumped and he made the move and he's been doing a really great job. Yeah. It just felt like family, something you can trust. And it was built quickly, but sometimes if you don't have that, you need, it needs to be built over a long period of time. Right. Jason, what's up, man? What's up, Nick? Take a guess. How many buyers do you think are on Thomas net? I don't know. Probably a million. It's actually 1.5 million. Nice. That was close. And they use Thomas to source suppliers just like you, man. Yeah, they're looking for cutting tool suppliers like me and also manufacturers like the Metalworking Nation. And I actually know a bit about Thomas. And one of the things I really like about it is the supplier analytics dashboard. You can see which companies are actively sourcing what you offer and gain insights into market demand, buyer intent, and comparative benchmarks and much more. And it's awesome that it's free to claim your profile. So you can make sure you're listed the right way, your company information is accurate, and the message that you're sharing with these buyers is exactly what you want them to see. You do this at thomasnet.com slash claim. But if you want an edge over all the free listings, you can consider a registered listing, and we have a special Making Chips deal for our listeners. Yeah, so let me tell you about that. Listeners of Making Chips get an 25% off the annual subscription with the code CHIPS25, C-H-I-P-S-2-5. Bam. Here's the other interesting, and the last point I wanted to make, but the other interesting parallel between sales and recruiting is there's a lot of negotiation in each. So you know, we're trying to run a profitable company. We can't pay everyone 500 grand a year. Right. And they're trying to maximize the return. Only you get paid 500 grand a year. (laughs) Yeah, right. (laughs) And they're trying to maximize their return, right? And bring more home to their family. And so you've got this whole negotiation process. You're negotiating everything from obviously a base salary, if it's a sales position, commission or bonus structure. Vacation time. Vehicles. Vacation time. Yeah. Well, this particular gentleman, Phil, we started these conversations early December and then talking about starting right before Christmas. And I was like, no, let's not start before Christmas. But then he started first part of January and he was like, well, I already have these 
vacation and working from vacation, not like working from vacation, but he was like going to be away and working from there, like families. And I was like, that's fine. We'll just take a risk and we'll let you do those things anyway. You know, what's cool is even though he had built up that rapport with his current employer over many years, we're like, okay, even though you started with us now, we'll still let you work from wherever he went to for a couple weeks. Yeah. That parallels not this last person I hired, but the person before we hired this person. And you you talked about like finding that common ground on your Christian faith. So this last person I hired prior to the one I just hired had the same thing. And he's like, hey, look, I want to take the job and I'm ready to start right away. But I've been planning on making this film with a bunch of people from my hometown. And it's like a faith-based film about this whole story called I Can about this woman who lost her arm and she became like a great softball player. And I don't want to have to use up all my vacation just to do it. And they right. have nothing left. And we right. were like, just do it. Yeah. Just there you do go. It. That's yeah. a great thing. Yeah. Like, there we're you go. yeah. Do your emails. Yeah. Figure out how to keep working a little bit, but yeah. we're fine on that. So. Yeah, really interesting. and Yeah, no, this is good for you to bring these compare and contrasting the recruiting process, the sales process, because I think that's important to consider. And I think all the manufacturing leaders out there should think about, okay, am I outsourcing this to a recruiter or to an HR person or whoever else? Or should I be thinking about if I've got a sales team or if I am the sales team, maybe they could be recruiting or maybe I could be using those same sales skills that I've developed in order to recruit more people. Because that's the takeaway. That's yeah. what I wanted people to get out yeah. of this. Because I, I think a lot of people in. feel trapped. Yeah. Maybe the biggest limiting factor to your growth is your team. Yeah. And so like, don't even worry about trying to sell to more customers. You got to sell this job to someone who's going to do that. Yeah. There you go. I love it. All right. Well, if you can't build the right team, you can't make chips. And if you're not making chips, you're not making money. Bam. Thanks for listening to the Making Chips podcast. Jim and Jason knew that the metalworking nation, the community of world-class makers, needed to commit to a new way of leading to stay ahead of the competition. So, Making Chips was created to fill that void, to give you advice from other manufacturing leaders who can push you to take action. Your manufacturing challenges have a solution. And many of them are at makingchips.com.